Do all Jewish men dress in dark suits, have long beards, and wear those locks of hair hanging down from the sides of their head? Can Jewish women wear pants? I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr, and today we'll explore the different streams of Judaism. This is Torah for Christians. Do all Jewish men dress in dark suits, have long beards, and have those locks of hair hanging down from the sides of their head? Can Jewish women wear pants? I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr, and today we'll explore the different streams of Judaism. This is Torah for Christians. Welcome to Torah for Christians. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr. Just as there are many different Christian denominations, there are many different streams of Judaism. To think that all Jews pray, eat, marry, learn, or even believe the same way is like saying that Catholics and Unitarians worship Jesus in the same manner. There are two major divisions among Jews, the Ashkenazim and the Sephardim. We have talked about these Jewish groups before, but now it is time to go into greater detail. Let's start with the Sephardim, Jews whose ancestors once lived in Moorish Muslim Spain from about 700 CE until 1492. Sephardad is the Hebrew name for Spain. Jews had been living in Spain as early as Roman times. They had moved to the various Latin colonies on the Iberian coastline as traders and merchants. When the Muslims invaded and occupied modern Spain and Portugal in the late 7th century, even more Jews arrived. The symbiosis between the Muslims, Christians, and Jews in Spain was a magnificent epoch in Jewish history, the Golden Age of Spain. During this time, there were tremendous advances in science, medicine, mathematics, grammar, literature, philosophy, and other fields. For the first time, Jews wrote secular poetry and pioneered advances in maritime science, such as the invention of the mariner's astrolabe, which enabled explorers to determine latitude and sail around the world. Jews also rose politically, both as statesmen and in the military. Jews traveled freely amongst the Muslim lands, being agents of commerce between Muslims, but also between Muslims and Christians, as European Christians and Arab Muslims were often at war with each other. Importantly, the Muslim world was highly centralized, with edicts issuing from the caliphs, rulers who lived in Spain, Cairo, and Baghdad. Parallel to this Muslim structure, the Jewish communities also became highly centralized. In Baghdad, the Jews had an exilarch, a political leader, and a gaon, a religious leader. Their edicts applied throughout the Sephardic Jewish world, leading to a uniformity of practice not seen in the Ashkenazic European world. In 1492, King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella married, thereby completing the Catholic reconquest of Spain. They promptly expelled the Jews from Spain. These Jews migrated to places such as the Netherlands, Italy, Poland, North Africa, and the Ottoman Empire. Notably, most of these countries were under Muslim authority. Islam always accepted the Jews as people of the book, and they had special status in society. Not as high as Muslims, but they were not forced to convert or die, as were pagans. 
The Sephardim were united by a common set of religious beliefs and, importantly, a common language called Ladino. Ladino is a polyglot language, a combination of Castilian Spanish, Hebrew, Arabic, and other native tongues. It is still spoken today among many Sephardic Jews, especially in Israel. Of course, there is no one typical Sephardi Jew. A Sephardi from Morocco has different customs and some unique holidays than, say, Sephardic Jews from Syria, who have their own customs and traditions. Each community was and is vibrant in its own way. Of course, there is no one typical Sephardi Jew. A Sephardi from Morocco has different customs and some unique holidays than, say, Sephardic Jews from Greece, who have their own customs and traditions. Each community was and is vibrant in its own way. Before we discuss the Ashkenazi Jews, we should also mention Jews who are neither Sephardi nor Ashkenazi. One group is the Amharic-speaking Beta Israel, the Jews from Ethiopia. These Jews lived in Ethiopia for millennia. We have no idea how they got there and were unknown to the larger Jewish world until the mid-20th century. Yet they proclaim their lineage from the union of King Solomon and the Queen of Sheba, whom they claim returned to Ethiopia, the land of Cush, pregnant by Solomon. Due to war and famine in the late 20th century, Israel airlifted virtually the entire community and resettled them. While their integration into Israeli society has been difficult at times, they represent a vibrant and influential Jewish group in Israel. Another group is called the Mizraki, Eastern Jews. These are Jews from lands such as Iraq, Iran, and Afghanistan, even from India. These were large, vibrant communities who, due to war, politics, and other factors, have been forced to leave their homelands and resettle in Israel, the United States, Europe, and elsewhere. They spoke languages such as Judeo-Arabic and Judeo-Persian, unifying languages. In a minute, we will talk more about the Ashkenazi Jews. But first, let's take a short break. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr, and this is Torah for Christians. Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr, and this is Torah for Christians. Before we return to our discussion of the streams of Judaism, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. Please remember to rate and review this episode, as well as previous episodes on Apple, Spotify, and other great podcasting sites. Also, you can like us on Facebook. Let's turn now to the Ashkenazic Jewish community, the Jews whom you probably either know or know of. Like the Sephardi and Mizrahi Jews, there is no one characterization of this Jewish community. Ashkenaz is the lands of Central and Eastern Europe. We can say that Ashkenazic Jews come from, and often still live in, countries such as Germany, Poland, Russia, Hungary, France, and England. In addition, Ashkenazi Jews make up most of the Jewish communities in the Americas, Australia, and New Zealand. But please remember that there are also Sephardi and Mizrahi Jews across the world as well. The Ashkenazic European Jews had a vastly different experience than the Sephardim. Unlike the Muslim world, medieval Europe was highly decentralized. 
lands such as modern Germany were broken into various fiefdoms, with Jews living amongst the serfs in small villages. There was no central religious or political authority for Ashkenazic Jews. This meant, for example, that Jews in one German village often had a different set of rules than Jews from another German village just a few kilometers away. Local rabbis would issue edicts and opinions, but those rulings were often only for their local Jewish population. To say that Yiddish was the unifying language of Ashkenazic Jews is mostly true. Yiddish is an amalgam of German, Hebrew, and Slavic languages, such as Polish and Russian. However, Jews native to Germany and Western Europe did not speak Yiddish. They spoke their country's language, such as French, German, or Dutch. Many Yiddish words and phrases have entered the English language, and most of what we will call Jewish-based entertainment, like Fiddler on the Roof or The Marvelous Mrs. Meisel. Much of that is Yiddish, and therefore Ashkenazi-based. But today, few Ashkenazim speak Yiddish as their primary language outside of the ultra-Orthodox communities in Israel and elsewhere. As the Ashkenazi Jewish community was more decentralized than the Sephardi community, different worship and living styles developed, depending upon where Jews lived. When Jews from Hungary, for example, immigrated to the United States, they would establish the, quote, Hungarian synagogue, where they prayed in their own style and socialized with Jews of similar background. And they might not associate with, say, the Jews who worshiped at the, quote, Krakow synagogue on the next block, because they were Polish. This changed over time but it does speak to the various styles of worship in Europe before the Holocaust. Ashkenazic Judaism is divided into several different streams. We will briefly speak about each of them here, but they will each get their own individual podcast episodes in the coming weeks. Among these streams are the Reform, Conservative, Reconstructionist, and Orthodox movements. And of course, there are many different Hasidic communities, each with their own unique structure and style of worship. Orthodoxy and Hasidism are the two streams that adhere most closely to Jewish tradition and laws. The conservative and reconstructionist movements are more liberal in their interpretations, and the reform movement, the largest stream in the United States, is the most liberal. While adhering to the spirit of Jewish law, the reform movement feels free to interpret these laws for modern times. Throughout this discussion, I have used the word streams of Judaism rather than denominations. To be a member of a Protestant denomination requires a formal declaration and affirmation that a Christian believes and worships in a way approved by that denomination. A Catholic, of course, must affirm his or her belief in the Catholic Church and the Pope as God's emissary on earth. And while a Southern Baptist and a Methodist might be personal friends or even married to each other, the Southern Baptist cannot join a Methodist church without undergoing an indoctrination program, and vice versa. Christians join a specific church of a specific denomination. In Judaism, it is different. While we certainly encourage Jews to join a synagogue, there is no formal indoctrination in any of the streams. All a Jew must do is to walk into a synagogue, pick up a prayer book, and then become part of that community. The learning comes later, often by practice as much as by a formal process. 
While there are certainly major differences between the streams, as we discussed in our very first podcast, Who is a Jew? The only formal training program is for people who wish to become Jews. Personally, while I'm an ordained Reform rabbi and lead a Reform Jewish congregation, I am equally comfortable and am welcomed as a member at a conservative Jewish congregation. No declaration of faith is required. I look forward to exploring these different streams of Ashkenazic Judaism in the coming episodes. It's going to be a great exploration of today's worldwide Jewish community. I want to thank you for listening to Torah for Christians. You can listen to and rate previous episodes on Apple, Spotify, or other popular podcast outlets. Also, you can like us on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day. And remember, how good and how pleasant it is for us to dwell together in unity. Till we see each other again. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr, and this has been Torah for Christians.